0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittum, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and it just takes three easy steps. Go to Mercury Mile. Enter your sizes and preferences, and then they'll send you out a box of curated running goodies, high quality stuff from the best makers around. You're gonna love it. And if you don't, shoot, you just send it back. It's so easy at four to six things, really high quality stuff, really good prices. And if you don't like it, you just put it right back into the envelope, put it in your mailbox, and you're done. It really is that simple. And when I say it has the best stuff, it really does. The best quality running stuff that I run in every day comes from Mercury Mile. So check them out at mercurymile.com and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout to save 10 bucks. So this episode is with Terry Hutchin. Terry is just for me, one of my favorite people to follow. She has uh, just a ton of running experience, has run over 50 races, and recently has altered her training a little bit, got a new coach, and all of a sudden she, I mean, of all things, sent a 10-minute PR at Boston Marathon this year. Not only that, she negative split the race, and so rarely... Do people, even the best runners around, negative split Boston, because, frankly, the second half is just harder than the first half. So you have that to say nothing of the weather conditions. And I just could not wait to hear about the training, the unbelievable ups and downs of the weekend experience that she had in Boston. Just wait till you hear about these. I mean, it was It was harrowing, to say the least. Um, And then just so much more. In fact, we talk a lot about, at the end of the podcast, once we go through the running part, we talk about her transition career-wise from working in the finance world, she formerly worked at Goldman and worked at Wells Fargo, to now she works for herself. And as someone who does this podcast for myself, I could not wait to pick her brain on some of the things that she has worked on over time that prepared her for this moment. So... Here is my episode with Terry Hushin. Hello, Terry, and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast.
1: Hello. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Terry, it's a pleasure to have you on. I've been following you for a while. All of the things that you are doing. It's really exciting though, because shoot, just a couple of weeks ago, I can't wait to talk to you about, you know, work stuff and your career path, because I think it actually uh, is like a nice mix of serendipity and just <laughs> on like following different things in your life but here you are, you just had a, had a drastic career change.
1: Yes, I did. <laughs> it's so a... tell the people,
0: tell the people about this. Career change, Sarah.
1: <laughs> it's so funny. Like, I don't think that it's that big of a deal, but everyone's like, it's a really big deal. And then I think about it. I'm like, yeah, it kind of is. Um, so I was in corporate America for gosh, 13 years. Um, I started my career at Goldman Sachs. I was an analyst, um, Working in Salt Lake City and New Jersey. I loved it, absolutely loved it. I was in my early 20s and thought it was really cool to work a million hours and wake up at like three in the morning for conference calls with Hong Kong. And um, so, really awesome place to start my career right out of college, very lucky. And then I was working for a couple of large financial institutions. After I left um, Goldman, I moved to North Carolina, and I was working at bb which is a regional bank that just merged with SunTrust, actually. And then I was at Wells Fargo um, for the last six years, um, managing their social media and some video production as well. And that was the career path that I was planning on, you know, just going to work for corporate America, and like I graduated with a finance degree but I actually just quit <laughs> and I'm, um, running my own businesses and working for myself. So, uh, very exciting. Um, it,
0: and here we are, here we are. So you are kind of like the, the, the person behind a foodie stays fit and you got yes. a couple other things going on. And again, we're, we'll, we'll hit this at the end of the show, but it's just really exciting Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) To have this going on. Um, And then for this also to coincide with a a huge, a huge kind of time in your life from a running perspective. Because here you are, you just ran the Boston Marathon. And unlike a lot of people who kind of went through that suffer fest, which is kind (laughs) of like now, like an annual tradition at Boston. It's like, how much can you suffer and how close can you get to your goal time? You actually threw out a 10 minute PR three seventeen <laughs> fifty. congrats terry
1: thank you so much yeah i had a i had a great race day
0: a great i love how you phrased it because you didn't position it didn't try to embellish it because it was it was not a great way race not a great race week that's for sure
1: I and i cannot
0: <laughs> wait to get into it but you're but you're no amateur you're you're a running vet you've been doing this for nearly 20 years and what you've had 50 50 races altogether, a little bit more
1: Yeah. You know, I just started brain dumping them a while ago. I don't even know why. Um, and it's over 50 that I can remember. And that's every distance, you know, like 5k half marathon, 24 hour relays tank, you know, everything, but I've done a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. And like everyone, when I have them on the show, what's the, like the running origin story that you have?
1: Oh gosh. Um, I started running when I guess I was like 13 or 14 uh, my mom is actually an amazing runner and she's been running. She doesn't give herself enough credit as moms don't, but she's been running for, gosh, probably 50 years before it was like, cool, you know, she's in her seventies now and my mom ran. And so I ran, like, it was just what I knew how to do. And I wasn't coordinated enough really for sports. And I didn't like the the pressure of team sports. And so I just started running for fitness um, in high school. And then, when I was in college, I took um a jogging one o one class, and my final was to run a race. so I ran a half marathon and just which is kept no joke
0: it is just definitely- like. <laughs> Yeah, to choose a half marathon, was it like extra credit for the mileage?
1: No, it didn't matter. I, I don't know why I picked it. <laughs> I can't remember. It was a beautiful course. It was in Moab, Utah, um, like the Red Rock, and you run down like the Colorado oh, River. I mean, it was so beautiful. Gorgeous. Yeah, it was so pretty.
0: And um, you were you went to BYU, right? I did. Okay.
1: Yep, I grew up in Utah.
0: That is I, – I know everyone says it, and I've driven through Utah a couple times, but everyone says it, BYU, if you haven't been there – could be one of the, the prettiest schools in the world
1: oh my gosh I took it for granted I went back there last fall for the first time since I graduated which has been I don't even know a while <laughs> like
0: 10 years ago three, three three or three
1: or four years but I went back and I was like holy crap this place is beautiful like and that's how I feel when I go home I visit my family in Utah and I'm like this place is unbelievably beautiful, but you just don't appreciate what you have, you know. Um,
0: so you you started running with the jogging class, which is hysterical because usually <laughs> you think of those like throwaway classes in college, like I'll just get a credit here, I need to fill out my schedule, and here it is. It like becomes like the, the bedrock mm-hmm. of, of your life, and in, in some ways, that's probably too dramatic, but a foundational it's element,
1: not. <laughs> yeah
0: funny because like how it it worked out but I guess one thing I was going to ask you about is so you grew up as the youngest you have a cadre of older brothers (laughs) what was that like just from like an athletic and kind of keeping up with them perspective
1: um you know none of them really did sports they were more like hunter campers um I have one brother who was really big into basketball who ironically now has started running he does Spartan races which I'm like Hard pass, no, thank you. Um, but my mom and I—you were you
0: were a former crossfitter, Terry. I guess <laughs> I'm putting past you completely.
1: I know, but I'm like, I just want to run. I don't want to run and have to like jump over a wall. I'm not very tall, so um, but yeah, I did do. You're, you're more go time. under the nets. Yes, I will go under the nets. <laughs> okay, not necessarily scale the wall. Um, so none of them really—they didn't run. Like we had a very. Um, active childhood because my parents had, um, five acres. They had like a small farm. So we would move water lines to make sure that the fields got enough water. And we, like my brothers would, um, like bale hay and like toss the hay bales into the barn and plant the gardens. And so we were very active just outside helping my parents, but none of us did sports necessarily. I I don't think anybody did. I think I played softball when I was like 12 once, Um, but no, it wasn't, Athletics
0: were not a big part of our childhood, and yet here you are—you are <laughs> um, you're, you're really, really taking the athletic bull by the horn, so to speak. So, what was the the paradigm shifting moment for you of taking running not only a not only as like something that's kind of happening for class and hey, this is kind of cool, but really making it something that was an elemental part of your your day to day, week to week operation?
1: You know, I don't think it was anything that. Like I did intentionally. I don't I don't know if anyone really is like, I, I mean, I guess that's probably not true. Some people probably wake up and like, I'm going to be a runner. I'll go with <laughs> my husband. Um, but I think when I started training for the half marathon um, when I was in college and I I figured out like how much I liked like a long run and uh, long then was anything from like five to 10 and I loved just zoning out and I really, really loved the outdoors. Um, it's a time I could be by myself. I'm pretty introverted which surprises people. Um, And I just I loved the satisfaction of like following a training plan and checking it off. And um, I should go back and look and see what I ran next. But I think I did a 5k next. And again, like, I really just loved the race experience and how good you feel. And so I just started signing up for races right and left. I went and got fitted at, um, at the time it was like one of the only specialty running stores in Utah, I think is in Provo, Utah, or maybe Orem. Um, they had really good runners and I felt completely out of place and they got me fitted. And, um, I just started signing up for races all the time. And like any new beginner who'd like jumps in too soon, I got IT band problems, shocking. And I just stuck with it, um, and just kept signing up for races. I signed up for a marathon. I trained for it. Um, the Ogden marathon, I I did a 20 miler and I had such severe IT band problems that I walked home from a race on or walked home from a run on Christmas day. And so anyway, I didn't, I didn't do that marathon, but I just, I just started feeling more and more like myself in that sense of accomplishment. When I finished a run that at some point along the way, I couldn't imagine not running. And I guess I just never really stopped.
0: So when you were going through this process, how much were you valuing that get out and run, just that feeling that comes from some stepping out the door and making it happen day after day versus the you know, race prep and really trying to like do well in races? How would you, and how you thought of each of those and what was the interplay like between how you, you know, thought about each? Well, I wasn't fast.
1: And so it definitely wasn't like, I'm going to crush sometimes. Um, I was running probably nine to 11 minute miles, um, which compared to where I am now, I've made a, a lot of improvements. And so it wasn't so much about, I, I guess I, I didn't even really think about PRs. I don't think I even really understood that concept. And so it was more like, I just really loved being outside and that freedom you get. And I, I liked the goal of, wow, I ran further today i mean back before there were garments you know like you go drive the route and i would get so annoyed like because i had a route where it's like there was a part where the car couldn't go i'm like okay how far is that um so i definitely liked
0: now <laughs> we're now we're really dating ourselves here terry because i remember doing the same thing
1: <laughs> it's so funny to think about um and i'm like i'm not that old but and i had a friend who had a Garmin, and i was like gosh it it tells you how fast you're going like do you like that um but i think I think it was really just being outside and having that that thing to myself that was like the sense of accomplishment. I was very um goal driven in school. I graduated top of my class in high school, I had a academic scholarship, all the things. Um
0: and then going to work at Goldman Sachs. I mean that's that's a big deal in every finance major in the country is looking at one of those kinds of jobs yeah so obviously like th- th- you're a very goal-driven person which is exactly why i asked the question because <laughs> i feel like where you were living oftentimes you have a lot of people who are out there you know, like where you live i guess that vicinity mm-hmm. of the world you see like a higher proportion of ultra runners yeah than you would say like in the northeast where i live mm-hmm. right if you just look at runners generally what percentage are ultra runners over like within the running world yeah so you have this beautiful area tons of trails a lot of different things you can choose from that are that are pretty close and yet you have that normal mix of like oh the being in a race is exciting and it's fun and you get to test yourself but sometimes that can be at odds with the whole like training just getting out there experiencing nature type feeling do you ever have any any back and forth with that
1: um i do and it's funny you would say like that Utah has a higher proportion um, because it, like being active in Utah was just, it was just what you did. It wasn't like a, a thing. Like I knew like so many people were runners and I, like, that's how I got into my first 24 um, hour relay race. Like I did a Ragnar relay. My college professor founded the race. And, um, and so I remember running with these people and it was so fun, like getting into the running community, but I I just wasn't, I, I didn't, I didn't consider myself good quote unquote, you know, it's like, I I was never going to be elite or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that it was really just like the fun and the community and the having a a goal to work towards when it's like, I didn't have a a test that I was studying for and I didn't have, you know, it was, um, I think it just kind of filled a void that I didn't even know that I had. And that, I don't think I even really answered your question, but... Uh,
0: no, no, that makes, a, that makes a lot of sense. And also, you know, with, with having that kind of job, yeah, right right out of college, you're working for Goldman, which is kind of like a, a very pressurized yes. type atmosphere. <laughs> um, was that like an outlet for you, being able to do the running component?
1: You know, I think I was so young, I probably didn't recognize it, but I think it was, Um because I would go in really early, like 6.30, 7 o'clock, and I would, I would sneak out early, you know, which is not even early after a 12-hour day, um, to go run after work. And I really, really wanted to get my run in. And on the weekends, I would plan my whole weekend around a long run. Um, I remember one time running on the treadmill. I mean, it was dumping snow in Salt Lake City, just dumping and I ran on the treadmill for 18 miles and just watched the snow pile up. And I definitely, like, I really, really loved Goldman. It was some of the smartest people I worked with. Um, and it's, it's a whole different organization now in terms of what it was like working then versus now, I'm sure. But I was definitely, I mean, it was a lot of pressure. And I, I don't think I realized that I was using running as an outlet. But I, I'm looking back, I, I probably was.
0: Right then. So you weren't able to do the Ogden marathon because of IT band issues, mm-hmm. which is such a bummer. It's like, you know, they say they um, they say plantar fasciitis is like the vampire bite. Yes. of Yes. Oh, <laughs> it's like IT band. IT band is, issues are not far behind.
1: Yeah, I, I've had both pretty severe. I think I would probably pick planner. Because I could at least run through Planner. I couldn't run through IT Band. It's like debilitating. Mm. I walked, I ran um, the Provo half marathon, and I remember I probably should have dropped out, honestly. I was like 24, and I had such bad IT Band problems. I think I walked from like mile nine to the finish, and the pictures, I like look like I'm crying, and it was just so <laughs> miserable. Um, and I really probably should have just dropped out, but I walked. Th- I, I walked because it's like, you can't run through it. And maybe I just have a higher pain tolerance now, but like planner, I've, I've been dealing with that for the last year actually. Um, and I ran through it quite a bit.
0: Yeah. It's, it seems like as long as you don't have like a serious tear, yeah. And there's a lot of people in a lot of sports that deal with it and they're on the DL for a week and then they come back and it's just like a, a like a pain management issue yes. until they get to like the off season.
1: Like never goes away. I keep waiting for that day. Oh, I, like this morning, I woke up. I'm like, oh, no planner pain! Great.
0: So it's just like constantly in your mind. So how do you end up dealing with the IT issues uh, in a way that allowed you to train for long periods of time?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, I, <laughs> it's so funny. I kind of want to look this guy up. I went to this doctor who was like this really... I can't remember who recommended it, and probably one of my cousins. Cause my cousins are all like freakishly good runners. I remember they all ran, um, they had run the Boston marathon and like, they'd barely trained. Like one of my cousins would run the Boston sub three carrying like a giant flag. Um, so anyway, they recommended this doctor mm. and I went to him and Um, it was right before, it must've been right before I went to him before Ogden. He told me not to run the Ogden marathon, but I'm like, okay, well I'm doing this 24 hour relay race in like a month. How are we feeling about that? And he put me on prednisone and, oh yeah. And I took prednisone for like three weeks. I was like in my early twenties and I was like, we're not really sure this is working and I feel really crappy. Um, and I can't even remember. So
0: this was just to knock out the inflammation. I
1: guess. I'm like trying to remember. like why did he put me on prednisone? Like that makes no sense. Um but what really cuz
0: cuz I've had that when I've had like sinuses infection, sinus infections, sinus infections yeah. to like kill the swelling and then, you know, basically everything then drains out.
1: Yeah, I, I don't remember much about my interactions with him, but I remember like my my instinct now so something on my gut gut level was like I don't trust this guy. Um and I just stopped going to him. And what I started doing was I started yoga at the, the gym above my house. And yoga made the biggest difference for me in terms of like my IT band went away. And I was a much nicer person when I did yoga. And so yoga was kind of like when I started having IT band problems, I would go to yoga and that would really help. So it was probably just like chronic tightness and like weak hips and all of that. The yoga really helped with it.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah no, I, absolutely. And it, you see this a lot just with the building up weaknesses in your body and strengthening them has this like domino effect mm-hmm. on, just like on, on, on other points in your body. And especially with these ligament issues, it's like, you just think, I know for me, it's like, I've had that same sort of issue before. And I just think locally, like what's going on with my knee.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's like,
0: yeah, it might not be knee related. You know, it could it's be something also else.
1: connected. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So all right, we're not going to go through your whole running history with <laughs> fine tooth comb. But I, I do want to kind of set the stage because what you have going on is you have like basically, you know, long history here of running. And what you were able to do recently is, you know, is significantly improved yeah. um, over the last you know, year or two, especially in the, the, these longer distances and especially after getting a coach. So what for you, once you got coach uh, Enoch Nadler, what, what were some of the changes that were made for you and your running that have kind of brought it to this new level?
1: Um, I think what's super interesting is my first marathon was four hours. I don't know if you looked that up or not. Um,
0: I did see that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so it's like, I just never thought Boston was on my radar. Like I just it was I remember I wrote it in my journal and I was like eighteen that I wanted to run Boston I was like like one of those goals you write down like yeah hey, I'm gonna be the CEO of a company um, you so are just, now yeah I You're am the now. CEO <laughs> so CEO of close. a foodie stays
0: <laughs> fit yes
1: I am <laughs> um, and so I think that what's been so different in the last couple of years um, running Boston is like this overwhelming sense of gratitude and it, it sounds really cheesy like I'm I'm generally not like a like my employees will tell you I'm not like a super emotional person. But I think gratitude made it a really big difference. Um, and just like, being grateful for what my body can do and like pushing it. But in the last year, so my, my first Boston that I trained for last year, I used um, advanced marathoning that that training book. And it freaking kicked my butt. Like, I loved it because it really, really pushed me. I had just used, like, online plans from Runner's World or, like, the Strava P- Premium, which are all really, really good. And I just wanted something to push me. And it, it really did. Um, I remember, like, the first time I ran more than 50 miles in a week. And it was like, wow, this is a big deal. But I was just so beat up. Like, I just – I don't think I really – listen to my body. And I was like, I'm going to follow this plan. Like if it's on the paper, I'm going to do it no matter what. And like, I, that's just how I am. <laughs> and I was really, really beat up. And the reason I hired my coach was not so much that I thought I could improve my time that much, but it was more, I had so much going on. I was working 80 plus hours a week. I had a ton of travel in the first half of the year. And I was like, I just need somebody else to be in charge of this. And like, because managing your own training is really draining mentally where you're like, okay, what do I have tomorrow? Like, do I need to tweak it? Okay. I have this. How am I going to fit it in my schedule? And, um, mentally I was like, I just need to outsource this. And so that's why I hired Enoch more than anything was to give my brain a break. (laughs) Um, and I, I would just have been blown away by the time improvements that I wasn't expecting, but what he helped me with, it was so different than last year is that he really forced me to take more recovery days and to really slow down on my recovery days. Um, He pushed the pace on workouts more than I probably would have. And there was more variety. So rather than like always doing long progression runs or long tempo runs, there was a lot of pace changes within the workout. Um, So a number of repeats, all at different paces, things like that. And if, he would check in with me every day and he would ask how I was feeling. And if I mentioned like my planners flared up or gosh, my hip is locked up. He would really stay on top of me to make sure I went to my PT or chiropractic. And then he would usually adjust my workout the next day. Be like, okay, well, tomorrow's a recovery day or start the workout, see how you feel if things are off, like just, just take it easy. Um, so he, I think the variety and the different stimulus really helped my body as opposed to just like grinding away and then also really letting myself recover when I needed to.
0: So you had a much broader range of paces. That yes. You're working with yes. both That's at the, a... the low end and the high end.
1: Yes. That's a much more concise way to say it.
0: <laughs> well, I've done a, I've done a couple of these, Terry. So I, I know <laughs> what true. you mean. And well, also, I have I've had the same thing go on. I, I think most people who, who transition from being self-coached to co- uh, having someone coach them, is twofold is that they have someone else looking at their slow pace and say, or easy pace and say, ah, you probably can slow that down a bit. Yeah. It's not going to hurt you if you go slower, but it will help you. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, okay. Well then I'll take that trade. And then also maybe, you know, maybe you don't have the confidence to run a certain pace.
1: Yeah. And they say, no, sure. no, no,
0: no, no, you can do this. So what was your, what was the difference in your slower paces? What did it go from to what you currently do, even though you've become a faster runner?
1: Um, I guess when I was training myself like my my slower pace, I'd have to go back and look what I actually did. But I think like I tried to stay around 830. Um and this year like sometimes my first mile or two would be 9, um sometimes it would be 915, <laughs> you know. Um and then I would I would gradually warm up and and get faster by the end, but there were days where I was running 859s for my entire recovery run and I remember last year feeling like, gosh, if I'm running in the nines, there's no way that I can run a fast marathon. Um, and so it was less like I, I wouldn't, I didn't even look at the pace this year, which unless I get, there was a, a workout. Um, he assigned mm-hmm. almost all of my workouts by time. And it was more like, this should be a recovery run. Like, so run for 50 minutes at recovery effort and I I was still so focused on mileage and pace last year, no matter what the run was, even if it was recovery. And this year it was like, oh, I just got to run for 50 minutes and it just needs to feel easy. Um, and so it was probably a 60 to 90 minute di- or 60 to 90 second difference.
0: Right. So in the past, you were basically running your easy pace at marathon effort.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure.
0: Right. Which makes sense. If you're training for a marathon and you don't know any better, you're like, if I just keep running at this pace all the time, well, you really get used to it. Yep. Uh, you know, and you get burned Like, no, yep. no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Like you don't the have contrast.
1: to do that. You need the contrast. And I was like, I knew that. Like I had read all these articles and I remember texting my friends last year and um, she's like, you got to go easier on your easy days. And I was like, yeah, "Yeah, yeah, I know. But like, it just feels good. And she's like, well, but you're tired all the time, like you're burned out. It's like it doesn't feel good, and so it was hard to to self regulate, versus when you have somebody yeah, who's like calling you out on it,
0: right? And that's a great point. I was one coach who I've interviewed on this podcast quite a bit, who also has a bunch of athletes on here, is Sarah Bishop, mm-hmm. and what she does is that if she has athletes. I think this is a great strategy, but it's also a little, you know, it's like straight up her alley of like like she she loves to test her athletes but if like they start speeding up on their easy runs she doesn't tell them to slow down she just makes their workout days harder so they don't have a choice
1: oh my god they get to their easy run
0: they're just like i cannot run any faster than this (laughs) i just want to go home
1: that's amazing that's so smart
0: yeah it makes sense right because you're sitting there because you're absolutely right is that if you're not doing really hard hard Mm-hmm. And you're just really only easy running. Again, that's it's it's fun. It's desirable. There's nothing wrong with it inherently, but it can be. It's so easy to then go too fast because yep. you don't have that counterbalance.
1: Yeah, and and that's been something over the last year. Like I really saw that. Like if I really recovered, then I could go really hard on my hard days, and that was so satisfying. Like to look at a workout and be like, mm. I'm not sure this is really going to happen, and then it does. Like that was really. Um, that was motivating to
0: me. Yes, exactly. It's like the difference between going out for dinner and like going out on empty stomach or like grabbing like a nutrigrain bar, like in the car ride on the way to the restaurant.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean?
0: Like when you, you go too fast on your easy days, it's like having that nutrigrain bar like an hour before your meal. Yeah. It's like <laughs> you don't think it's that big of a deal. But then like all of a sudden you're not finishing your entree and you're like, I really regret that. Why did I do that? Yeah. It's like I had a new grain (laughs) bar instead of prime rib. Like why would I make that
1: trade? (laughs) I'm going to remember that because I ruin my dinner all the time.
0: (laughs) So, all right. So, so, so having that coach has really kind of amplified your ability to not only run faster on your hard days, but really recover on your easy days, which is huge. And then going into this race and going into this cycle, I should say, What were your, what were some of the goals that you had? Again, you're a very goal driven person. So what were some of the goals that you had going into Boston this year, especially upon reflection of what happened in 2018? Oh boy.
1: Um, so 2018, I was, I thought I was trained to run a lot faster than I did. Um, and I'm sure everyone knows like the weather that year was just a cluster, um, and so I felt like I, I didn't really know what my potential was. I thought based on my training paces that I was hitting with my self-training plan that I, I could probably run a, maybe a 320 on a, like a really good day. And so when I went to Enoch, um, I was like, I, I'd really like to break 320. And he didn't like know me, you know, we hadn't worked together. And he's like, well, yeah, like, let's just get into training and kind of see how things go. He was big about like, we got to get your planter under control first. And so breaking 320 was my biggest goal. Um, but I also knew that like Boston is just, it's, it, it's fickle. <laughs> like it's weather's fickle. I, I, you there's so many variables in the marathon. Um, and I, I loved my 2018 race, despite the conditions. I just, I loved it. And so my secondary goal was I want to get to race day uninjured so that I can just enjoy the day again. Like, I just want to have a good time, um, and not time in terms of like my my finishing time, like I just want to enjoy the race. And so those were the two things I came to him with. Um, and I think we very much accomplished that.
0: <laughs> nice. And what was the finishing time? Uh
1: 31750.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, for 2018.
1: Oh, 2018, 327 and some change.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. 327. Again, considering those conditions, I mean, holy cow, right? <laughs> if you can qualify for Boston at Boston. In those conditions, that's a huge day. Yeah. So, I uh, that's met awesome. the race right. director
1: a few months ago, and I told him my time last year. And he's like, whoa, that's amazing. Did you requalify? And I'm like, <laughs> if he's proud of me, like, I should be proud of myself. That's awesome.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah, right. What a great, what a great barometer. Yeah. So, so when did you start training for this, so this Boston, when did your training start in earnest?
1: Um, I guess probably January.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, so so right away it was like, all right, we want to try to break three twenty. Um, as you were progressing in your training plan and, you know, obviously the the mileage picks up and, you know, the the thresholds, threshold workouts are happening and, and all of that, when did it start to crystallize for you that it it was going beyond a goal to something that you felt was within your reach?
1: You know, I don't, I never even really looked up like what my predicted time would be until probably March. And I did a half marathon as part of my training. Um, And I was coming off a 60 mile week maybe. And it was a really hilly course in North Carolina. And I ran three miles before just like to warm up. Um, And I was convinced for years that my half marathon PR was set in stone. I was like, there's no way I'm breaking my half marathon PR. It was 133. And I ran 131 on that course. And I was like, huh? Like <laughs> I should, I wonder what he thinks I'm going to run. Cause I never asked him like, what do you think I can run? Um, but then there was this calculator. He sent me for one of the workouts that you have to go look up your, um, your CV pace and which, what is that? I'm blanking on what that even stands for. Uh,
0: critical velocity. Yes.
1: Critical velocity. Thank you. And the calculator, I was looking at the CV and then, it showed my predicted marathon time of three. I think it was three fifteen or three sixteen, somewhere right around there. And I was like, "Huh, I wonder like if that's that's feasible." So I started to like play with that in my head around March. Um, but again, like I never asked Enoch, like what are, what time are we aiming for? And, and I don't know why I did it. And I don't like I. I don't know. I guess I was like, just do the work and worry about race day later. And then when he sent me my race plan and he was like, We're aiming for 315 to 319. Like that would be a really, really great time for you on that course. I was like, wow, like, okay, like this is where we're at. And so there was never a, a conversation of like, hey, is like, is this feasible? It was more, I kind of started to play around with the calculators and I felt really good at the half and I trusted my training. So that when he sent me the race plan, I was like, Yeah, if if it's a good race day and all the stars align that have to align on marathon day, I think I can do it. Um,
0: And then you get to Boston.
1: Yes. And the stars
0: are not (laughs) aligning.
1: No, (laughs) no, they did not
0: oh poor terry i'm like I'm, I'm watching you like from afar and i'm like heartbroken like, watching your marathon week oh my goodness all right so you know, just just pick it up i guess from like a couple days before because it's like it's it's funny now because i know how the story ends but in the moment i was like this poor woman. i know
1: well it was crazy too because i had quit wells fargo um like my last day was a week before the race or I guess like a week and two days. And so it was like this huge, like emotional thing of like leaving my job, feeling so excited. And I'm like, I wasn't even nervous about the race. Cause I was like, I've put in the work, like there's nothing else I can do. I was super excited. I hadn't even like thought much about it. Cause work had been so crazy in that transition. Um, I get up to Boston on a Saturday and go out to breakfast with my friend. So I went up with my best friend. Um, she was running as well. She's the one who introduced me to Enoch is my coach. And we go out to breakfast Sunday morning and I'm eating and I'm like, you know, something's just off in this food. And I was like, but got to carb up, you know, <laughs> got to carb up. So, I kept- so what were you eating? Um, so I'm gluten-free, I have celiac. And so I was eating um, gluten-free toast and eggs and some potatoes, like um, the like hash brown kind of potatoes, like those chopped potatoes and the potatoes i was like something's off here and like to be fair i have a very sensitive stomach like i have <laughs> i've had stomach issues my whole life but i just i could tell when eating it i was like something's not right and but i ate it i was like it's just potatoes like it'll be fine and i and i it must have been the seasoning or like a bad oil or i don't know what was wrong maybe it was the eggs i don't know um we finished breakfast and we go over to the expo, get my bib. And I start to just feel really bad at the expo. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And it's like, I just, I probably just need to sit down. Like we've been rushing around we're walking really fast <laughs> and I'm like, I, I probably just ate too much and I'm rushing around. Like I just, I just need a minute to sit and digest, which is not uncommon for me. And like, I need to like rest and digest kind of person. So we, we meet up with, um, team Florida track club, which is Enoch's training group that was all up there. And we're doing a shakeout run the day before. So we, we sit around, we're talking. I'm like, man, I feel terrible. And we go out for the run. It's like 20 minutes. And I'm like, I'm going to throw up in the Boston Common. Like, this is not good. And <laughs> I feel really bad. I'm like, the food's probably like, I'm just full, you know, like this whole time. I'm like, I just, I just need to digest my food. We sit down. He gives us like the pre-race pep talk. And we're kind of like standing around talking. I'm like, I need to leave immediately. So I like speed walk back to my hotel and for the next 2 hours just keep throwing up. Like, oh my god. Over and over and over. <laughs> um and I I posted it on Instagram that I was like, "Man, I don't feel well. I hope everything's okay." And and part of the reason I did it is, like, I think that people only show, like, the shiny parts of their life on Instagram. And I think there's there's more people now, like, showing, like, the real stuff, maybe too much so. But um, I was, like, I also knew that, like, I have really, really supportive friends and family. And, like, even people you don't know that are just, like, cheering you on. I was, like, they're going to be rooting for me. And I'm, like, I want their good vibes. And then the next thing I posted, it was, like, okay, I've been throwing up. Like, this is not part of my race plan. Um,
0: yeah, you're, like, like this, this teary-eyed picture i was like oh my god
1: (laughs) it was so pitiful i was just looking at it like oh gosh that's not good um
0: no i mean i've been i've been there i've been like in a city in a hotel room with food poisoning and like you know it's bad when like the best part of this the experience is like i'm just so glad the tile floor is cold
1: yes and you're like
0: this is remarkably alone. comfortable in the bathroom <laughs> on the floor
1: and that nobody's here like well, and it was yes so bad. and nobody's here <laughs> i got back to the room and the cleaning lady was there and she was like clean and things, like is it okay if i finish And i'm like yeah yeah and then i was like no you need to go <laughs> like can you please i like kick her out of the room uh but yeah it was not good not good
0: all right and then and then hanging over all of this is the idea of like you want to be at your physical peak 24 <laughs> yeah. hours from this yeah. moment or even less at this point I was like 18 hours from this moment. So what was the anxiety like for oh you going through this? Because you have this, this thing where you're like, obviously you're just, yeah. Anyone who's had food poisoning knows you're just, you're literally living minute to minute Yeah, because you just don't know what's about to happen next. But like part of you must've been foreshadowing to what's going to happen the next day.
1: I was so, I was just so frustrated Um and I was really sad, like I was just disappointed and I was like, damn it, <laughs> Like I worked so hard and I, I was trying so hard to be careful about food. Like I was just, I was so mad at myself for not like listening to my gut, literally. Um, Ooh. <laughs> and I was, I was just, obs- I, w- I was really worried that like it, I wouldn't recover fast enough. And if I did, I was just going to be super, super weak because I couldn't eat anything the rest of the day, you know, like I never ate lunch. Um, I wasn't sure if I was gonna be able to eat dinner, and so I was just like, "Well, this is pretty crappy." Like, I feel like I was just—I was really sad uh, more than anything. Um, and huge kudos to Enoch and Angela because I had told them—Angela's um, Enoch's wife—that when I left the the team get together, I was like, "You know, I just don't feel well." And they texted me to check in. I told them what was happening, and they're like, "Okay, like once you can." keep stuff down, like just drink some Morton mix and like, that'll get you some carbs in. that'll get you some electrolytes, like keep drinking water, drink as much water as you can. Kate's going to bring you some tea. Um, and then like as soon as you can keep anything, like just eat some crackers, like try to get some bland carbs in. And so they were really good about like, okay, we're just going to manage this the best we can. And then right before, um, Like, I I eventually started to stop. I stopped throwing up, thank goodness, after a few hours, um, laid around for a little bit, went to Whole Foods, hit the hot bar, because I knew I could, like, control what I was getting there um, for dinner. And around 9 o'clock, my phone rang, and, and Enoch was calling, and he was running in the elite field. So it's not like he was just some coach who was there supporting his athletes. Like, he was running, like, a really big race for him as well. And he called me and he's like, I feel like you need a pep talk. And I'm like, yeah, I need a pep talk. And he's like, like, I know you feel bad. And he's like, and you, you do feel weak. He's like, I'm not discounting that at all. He's like, but before a marathon, everything is worse than it seems. He's like anything, like if you have a little like ache, you think that you're injured. And he's like, and if you're tired, you're exhausted. He's like, so yes, you're probably weak, but you're not as weak as you feel like. And he's like, and no, you probably didn't eat enough, but you probably ate more than you think. And he's like, and you've put in the work. He's like, so as long as like you wake up tomorrow and things are okay, like, so you can absolutely have a great race day. He's like, I would not let this talk yourself out of a great race day. He's like, just wake up, see how you feel. He's like, go out a little more conservatively than the plan. Um, he's like, but focus on what's ahead. He's like, don't focus on what's happened behind you. He's like, focus on what's happening ahead of you. And I, that was such great advice that like, yeah, I, I probably don't feel as bad as I think I do because marathon makes you dramatic and just focus on what's ahead and don't think about what happened.
0: So he's saying that to you as this as his wonderful runner who knows you and knows your training, but in the moment, how much of you is believing him when he says you can still have a great race tomorrow?
1: Oh, I absolutely believed him 100%. Oh,
0: that's great. That's great. Yeah, and then, then, no I, wonder, then no wonder the day worked out the way it did.
1: I mean, I, I didn't think it would be my, I didn't think that it would necessarily be my best race, like in terms of time. And I was like, I can still have an enjoyable day. And that was like kind of my beagle, you know, it was like have an enjoyable mm-hmm. day, enjoy this race. It's such a privilege. It's like a goal I never thought I could accomplish. So I'm like, maybe I can still wake up and run a really good time. But even if not, like I can still have a really great race day. It's just the definition of greats may be different.
0: All right. So the next day, how did you feel when you woke up?
1: Um, I was cautiously optimistic. <laughs> um, I, I woke up and I didn't, 2018, I slept like a rock. Like I slept so hard through the night. I tossed and turned that night. So I woke up, I was kind of like groggy, you know, like everyone is the night before a race. Um, And I woke up and I was kind of just like evaluating, you know, like when you're tiptoeing into something, I'm like, okay, like, I feel okay. All right. Like, let's drink some water. Okay. That was good. Like, let's drink some coffee. Okay. That's okay. So it was kind of like, I was just doing my routine as I would and evaluating it as I went to see how I felt. Um, our hotel evacuation alarm went off in the middle of like getting ready. So that wasn't great. Um, but we didn't have to evacuate, but I was just kind of taking it like one step at a time. Like, how do I feel good? Okay. Next step. How do I feel good? All right. Let's eat my pre-race breakfast. Okay, great. And then as soon as like, I kind of got through like my coffee and my breakfast and all of that I was like, I feel good. Like that's what, that's the mindset I'm going in with is that I feel fine. And this is amazing that I feel better 24 hours later or less than that.
0: So you're so once basically once you left the hotel it was kind of like no strings attached ready to roll.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then like I stepped outside and it was <laughs> it was like thundering and lightning through the city and it was like crazy wind and downpour. I was like, "Oh my gosh, not again." So I honestly like kind of forgot because the weather was so crappy that I forgot I was sick. So that was a little bit of a blessing for the the gear drop.
0: All right. So what was the race plan?
1: Um the race plan was like my overall average pace should be anywhere between 720 to 735 and to go out very conservatively especially since I was sick he's like just maybe go out 735 740 don't try to dodge around people he's like you're you're faster than where you're seated now um he's like but that's good it'll hold you back um he's like so just really take it easy the one thing that he did dramatically different than I'd ever done is that I was fueling a lot more than I ever had. Um, So I was just focused on like taking my gels at the right time, getting water. And it was more just like kind of just like clicking things off, like, okay, water, stop, drink. Okay. Good. Check. Like it was, I was just kind of clicking away. Um, And around mile 10, I was like, gosh, my quads are feeling kind of, Beat up like this is early for my quads to beat up to feel beat up. And I was like, you know, just get to the halfway point, like, I'll feel good there. I'll kind of have a barometer. He wanted me to go through the halfway point around 136, 138. Um, and I got through the halfway point, I was 139. I was like, okay, like, not too bad. Like, it's fine. Um, and then he's like, just once you start climbing, like, focus on even effort up the hills, and um, after the hills, you should have some energy to like just really finished strong. And last year I just, I bonked so hard at mile 21 because somebody told me that it was all downhill after 21. And I was like, literally it's all downhill after 21. Sweet. And so I like took off at 21 last year. So this year I knew a little bit better. (laughs) It's like, there's still a lot of race left. Um, so I just was very even keeled the whole time.
0: Yeah. Cause you basically ended up negative splitting this race and not many people do that.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: cause, cause it's almost, cause it's, it's really is net downhill that yeah. first half.
1: Yeah. And, um, I practiced a lot of downhills. I live in a hilly area, thankfully. Um, so I practiced a lot of downhills, but I was, I got nervous around 10 when my quads were feeling a little spicy. Um, And I was like, just get to the hills, like get to the hills. Once you can start climbing, you'll feel better, get to that. Um, and then once I got to the top, I I didn't even know I was running up heartbreak. Like I felt just so good. Um, just having that like muscle change at that point. And then, yeah, like when I came out of the top of Newton Hills, I was like, all right, like I'm just going to, I know like which stretch I don't like. Um, and I'm just going to get through it. And if I, if I feel good around like 23, I'll pick it up a little. And if I still feel good at 24, I'll pick it up a little. And so I just kept like, I was holding back, like not wanting to like, crash and burn like I did last year, um, the last few miles. And so every time I clocked off a mile, i let myself pick up the pace of it.
0: So what was your down or uh, heartbreak hill mile? I love how they like split that out. They like, they, uh, in the BAA, after the fact, if you look at your splits, they actually have that one mile marked off with, um, with their timers.
1: I did not even know they did that. I'm a bad Boston runner. I had no idea.
0: Yeah. So they'll do like every five, they'll do every K, right? <laughs> every five K, right? And then they'll have the half. And then they have, I think it's mile 20 to 21. Okay. They have, they have timers at the beginning of the end of, of that mile.
1: Oh my gosh. So you can see what your split is it. for that mile. I got to find it. Yeah. I'm going to so, look it up.
0: So, that's, so, <laughs> so a lot of people, I don't think you, in this case, because you you negative So, like a lot of people will run that mile, you know, a minute or two slower than their average race pace.
1: Okay. Let's um, see. I'm looking. About the 20K, yeah, so 25K, 30K, 35K. I don't see it.
0: Okay. So maybe it's just on the online tracker. Oh, okay. like on the on the app on the app on your phone oh, yeah, I was yeah. tracking a bunch of people and you would see like boom heartbreak hill my like oh damn carnage oh um, I and then
1: mine was like I don't know sorry I interrupted you
0: no 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 it's fine, it's fine. obviously it wasn't that big of a deal because if you negative split this race it means that you don't lose a lot of time on that hill right if you lose yeah. two minutes on that hill from your race pace like you're I mean, no, a, there's I, just
1: no way. I think my 20, let's see, heartbreak's around what, 21?
0: Yeah, I think it's 20 to 21.
1: Um. Okay, I'm, I'm pulling up my Strava, as one does. There I you go. I was 724, and then mile 21 was 744.
0: Yeah, and... so it's only 20 seconds slower. Yeah,
1: and now I'm like, oh man, speaks what I should to set said. up.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it speaks to what you just said. You didn't even know you were on it. Yeah, you obviously were feeling I mean, clearly you were aware that you were going uphill, but that you obviously were feeling so good that you weren't aware that this was like the penultimate hill. Yeah, I wasn't sure
1: if it was like, am I I there yet? I was more hot than anything. And I was like, okay, let's manage the heat situation more than the hills.
0: (laughs) Right. Which a lot of people were affected by. And I think yeah. a lot of people were positive split this race for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't a fitness issue for yeah. them. It was more heat. So how, so you mentioned before that you also have, you know, perennial GI issues or mm-hmm. stomach issues. So how did you manage the nutrition and the heat that allowed you to have the race that you had?
1: Gosh, I think I got really lucky. Um, I, so I practice with my gels like repeatedly. So I used honey stinger and Morton. Um, and Enoch said, like, if you start to feel full, like during the run, he's like, that's okay. Um, he's like, don't let it deter you. We were more worried about the Gatorade because I don't tolerate Gatorade super well. And that's what's on the course. Um, Is it
0: the high sugar content?
1: Yeah. It's the high sugar content. I, I think, I mean, I'm guessing. And He's like, but if it gets hot, he's like, you're going to have to use Gatorade. And so I was taking water at every single water stop. He calculated my sweat rate. He's like, you need to have, I can't remember what the ounces was. He's like, but I knew I needed 83 gulps of water. (laughs) And so he's like, if you get in one to three gulps at every station, um, he's like, you'll be good. And so I was taking water at every station. Um, I was taking um, a gel, either honey, stinger, or Morton at like, I think four seven, 10, 13, you know, like basically every three to four miles. And then I started mixing in Gatorade around, it must've been around like mile 14 or something. I would take just one sip of Gatorade and then I would take a water. Um, so I I was getting Gatorade first and then I was getting water and then I would get another water and I'd dump it on my head. And that's like what I just did clocking through. And I, I started like first dumping the water on my head. And then I would drink the second cup that I had. And then I realized I'd already splashed the second cup out. So I'm like, okay, I got to drink first, then dump. <laughs> like I'm evaluating <laughs> my strategy. Um, but I think I just got lucky, honestly, because I'd, I'd never fueled that much. Like I'd never taken in that much fuel on a run. I'd never um, taken in that much Gatorade, like since I was like 20 years old. And it, granted, it wasn't even that much Gatorade, but... Um, I know it just like crushed some people and that I just had a lucky day, you know, like some races are lucky and some aren't. And I, I just got lucky.
0: And then I'm assuming that the Gatorade was because of the, the salt in it that he wanted you to have. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Now here you are coming down the three seventeen fifty. All right. When you take a turn, you're heading down, you see the finish line ahead of you, you see the clock. What were the first thoughts that were going through your mind?
1: Oh man. So when I turned up, um, hereford and i thought about last year where my my mom and my husband came last year and they stood out in the weather i, I mean like for six hours Um my mom wanted to see the elites and they just didn't want to miss me so they stood out there and then they didn't even see me run by and so when i turned up there i just thought about them being there and i, I pictured them there here i am like saying i'm not emotional i'm like getting teary <laughs> so i i pictured them there and then I turned on to Boylston and I, it was just, again, just like that overwhelming sense of gratitude and that I was just so happy. I had a good race and I, I hadn't even looked at my watch. I had no idea what my time was. Um, I got about like halfway down Boylston and I threw my sunglasses and I, I don't even know why I did. Like, I just I threw them. They're cheap. They're like the gooder sunglasses. I'd had them for years. I'm like they've, they've served their purpose. And it was like, and I just, I was so grateful. Like I'd had a good race and I was so grateful that I had this big career change. And it was just kind of like, man, everything is just aligning for me. And I'm just so grateful. And I had that same feeling last year. Like I, um, had just gotten married and I just, it was like that same feeling running down boys and I'm like, man, I am so lucky to live this life that I, I have. Um, and I had that same feeling this year and I tossed my glasses and it was like seeing the world in technicolor was like, oh my gosh, the sky is blue and the buildings are shining and everyone's cheering. And it was just, it was so fun. And I crossed the finish line and I was just so happy. And I remember like smiling and wondering if my smile was going to look like last year where I thought I had like the biggest grin on my face, but my face was frozen and it looks like I'm grimacing. And, um, so I crossed the finish line and I saw the time I was like, oh my gosh, like I just, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And I was so elated. And, um, I just, I was just so happy and I really like, I wanted to find my phone so I could call my husband. And, um, I looked right in front of me and one of my friends that I grew up with in Utah was right in front of me. We had crossed the finish line at the exact same time. And so that Holy was really cow. cool. Yeah. It was it was crazy. Like I looked up and there was Devery and I, I think our official time was two seconds apart.
0: And so well, it was just it insane. was really
1: cool. Yeah. It was I mean there it's just always in the I mean always have run it twice, but um it it's just the overwhelming sense of gratitude is what I've had both both years.
0: All right, here you are. So we we mentioned this in the beginning. I didn't want to like overload the beginning of the podcast with corporate talk and you know because this is like this isn't like the entrepreneur podcast but I think it's interesting um your career point because I feel like it's this this symbiotic relationship between pursuing things that you're interested in while also being open to new opportunities because here you are you started in finance at Goldman and now you're someone who has basically turned their their blog and other kind of like digital media presences into a full-time job, which a lot of people look at as like, Hey, I would love to do that. How can I do that? Right. And you came from, if you look at just the the polar ends of, they don't seem to align, right? (laughs) Like how do you go from that to that? And I loved, I listened to on a different podcast, the she is strong podcast, I think it's a name and and your friend who does that show did a great job. And you guys talked at length about this. And I want to touch upon it here because I just think it's a really interesting topic about how you basically went out of your way in different jobs to kind of expand what you were working on, not because of some sort of clear sense of where you wanted to go, but just because you were interested in from curiosity's perspective and how ultimately it has turned into this profession change that I think even at the beginning, you there's no way you could have predicted how this mm-hmm. has worked out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was wild. I mean, and it's funny how they they kind of turned into a symbiotic relationship at some point. Um, like I was a finance major, corporate finance, that's what I was going to do. And I had started a health or I, I hadn't not even a health blog, I would started a blog in like two thousand and four. And I started blogging about my jogging class. And I started blogging about like what I was making in my college kitchen and um, so I just started blogging and eventually it, it turned into, I was sharing my workouts all the time and I was sharing more and more recipes. And so I, I had this blog all along the side that I was doing this corporate career. And I think the biggest shift, um, in corporate was I went from, I was, after I left Goldman, I was doing compensation consulting and analyzing jobs, like where you evaluate the job and like, how much should this position be paid? And I remember reviewing marketing jobs and I was like, Gosh, these sound fun. Like, this sounds really fun. And I just reached out to someone in marketing. I was like, hey, I don't really have any experience, but I'd I'd love to talk to you about like just more about your division. And they found out I had a blog and I knew social media, and they're like, hey, um, we're trying to launch social media. Do you would you want to come over here like in preparation for that? And it's like, sure. I took a pay cut, went over to marketing, had no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> Let's, let me let me just stop you right there because I yeah. don't
0: I don't think it should be glossed over because someone from an experienced finance professional to an elementary marketing professional <laughs> isn't described as simply a little pay cut usually that can be fairly drastic so when you were deciding to go from one to the other. You know, again, a lot of people love the idea of taking a job that more closely aligns to something they're interested in until they see a paycheck, right? And anyone Mm -hmm. whose job has been associated on any level with working in finance or something like that is well aware, you know, a lawyer, lawyers have this all the time as well, is the idea of like the golden handcuffs Mm -hmm. of like all of a sudden you've worked yourself into a position and then now you have bills that, that basically handicap you into staying into that position, even yeah. if you don't like it anymore. So you don't see this happen all that often, where people will then take a pay cut into a profession that better suits them. But when you were going through that decision making process, what was that like?
1: Well, I was a finance major. So I saved compulsively. So I at least knew like, if all goes <laughs> to hell, I've got an emergency fund. Um, I knew my budget, I knew what I could do. Um And I mean, it's kind of like running where it's like, okay, like, what's the end goal here? Like, do I want to be like, I I really loved Goldman. I wasn't as happy doing the compensation consulting gig that, um, I mean, I just needed a job when I moved to North Carolina and I, I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. And I was like, okay, so do I want this job in 10 years? Like, no, hard. No. Um, am I happy? No. Like, so clearly money is not making me happy. Um, so what's the angle? It's kind of like, yeah, I want to, I want to set a, a PR, but like the process getting there is sometimes kind of crappy, you know? Um, so it's like, I just thought long-term what I wanted to do. And I knew that I really enjoyed my blog and I didn't even like exactly see how my blog was related to marketing at the time. Um, and, and to be honest, part of it was probably just like trying to escape a job I was miserable in and hoping that this would be better. Um, but it was more like okay like i know how much of a pay cut i can take and if if this really sucks like i know i can go back and get a finance job um and so it was just focusing more on the long term and being willing to sacrifice to see if it was a better fit
0: right and it's funny cuz you look back at some of these some of these like forks in the road after mm-hmm. the fact and you can, you can kind of start connecting the dots and say like, hey, I did this and then this and this. And that aligned perfectly for what I did next. But it's not as if we have this clarity when we're yeah. walking the path. And it's so interesting because then, you know, you go into this marketing job, you know, corporate and financial mar- marketing and like in a digital media space too, which is like, you know, like <laughs> you kind of giggle, right? You're like, all right, like, the, like, what is this bank on Instagram really like doing for me? Oh, but But it's like, but at the same time, it's like, what better way to improve your skills than to be in this situation where you want to try to, like, make interesting content for a client yeah. that isn't necessarily, like, completely interesting from, like, a social media perspective. Right. So, it's like, if you can make this sound interesting. Exactly. Well, then, well, then, geez, Louise, like, what else can I do here?
1: Yeah, I'm like, if I can sell checking accounts and credit cards, like, I can do social media for anything.
0: No, it's so true. And I think I see that that same thing like with um you know with this podcast. Again, I'm not going to make this about me, but like I I I've, I've had jobs in my life that I would never thought in a million years would positively predispose them to me doing this. Right. But in <laughs> retrospect, I can I can connect those dots and say, "Hey, this is why I'm able to do these you know, these certain aspects of the job." So for you, now that you're doing what you're doing now, what aspects of your previous jobs do you lean on to say, this prepared me for, uh, I guess, fill in the blank?
1: Gosh, you know, it's so, it is so funny. Like when you're going through it, you don't even like really know what you're doing, um, but you look back and you're like, okay, um, this, this does make a lot of sense. And that was something what I always told myself when I was miserable in whatever position I was in and not that I was miserable in my career. I'm, I loved the majority of my career but I was always thinking like, what am I learning from this that I can apply to something else down the road? And I think what's really, really benefited me, um, now that I'm working for myself and I've been running my own companies for a couple of years is corporate America teaches you how to be really efficient with a meeting. Like I can run a meeting, (laughs) like, which I've learned is kind of not a skill everybody has. Um, I'm really good at prioritizing work and delegating. Um, I hired um, a couple employees over the last few years and that was a game changer for my own business. Um, And so just learning like you, you can't do it all and you shouldn't do it all. That was really helpful. Um, Like that was one thing in corporate America. One of my bosses would always tell me, she's like, I need you to tell me when you can't get everything done because I'll help you prioritize. And that's something that I do with my employees now. I'm like, you have a lot on your plate right now. I need you to let me know if you if you can't get it done, let me help you prioritize. And so I find myself regurgitating things that previous managers said to me. Um, I think knowing how to have conversations with important players, I mean, I when I – Was I mean, I had conversations during my career with like the chief marketing officer and the CEO and the CFO, like at various banks and talking to attorneys and just being very comfortable talking to a range of people has really benefited me um, now. And being able to really get the most, I mean, this is kind of ironic since I feel like I've been all over the place in this podcast, but when I'm doing a presentation, or I'm doing a, a pitch of some sort, or I'm writing a an email broadcast, like really being crystal clear on what I'm trying to communicate. Um, how can I make it tighter? How can I make this easier to communicate? How can I make this email easier for them? Like, how do I make it clear what what I'm trying to get out of them? Um, I think I just have become very efficient. It's not even the right word, but. I guess I just learned how to run a business while while working in business. If that makes any sense.
0: No, absolutely. And I'm sure that your, your corporate life probably benefited from what you were doing on the side. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, that's part of the reason I had the job. Like what I, so I got recruited for Wells Fargo. They loved that I knew the financial industry and I had a blog that I was day in day out in social media.
0: So what exactly are you doing now?
1: So I have my, um, help blog. It's primarily a running blog, a foodie stays fit. Um, so I have that. Um, I also, um, have a beauty counter team, which is a safer skincare company that I work with. Um, so I do that. I have another website I'm launching hopefully in the next month and run, um, an Instagram account for that best of Winston, um, for my city. And I also do some email marketing consulting, which is another thing I just kind of learned along the way and taught myself. Um, So yeah, those are kind of the four different arms of my business.
0: That's great. Terry, thank you so much for coming on the show and good luck with everything you're doing. This is really exciting and uh, a great time to have you on. That's for sure. This this has all kind of culminated in this like one month period.
1: Yeah, it's been a really, really good month. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you again, Terry, for coming on the Rambling Runner podcast. Also, thank you to Mercury Mile for sponsoring the show. If you want to upgrade your running attire, there is no better place than Mercury Mile, if for no other reason. Oh, two two main reasons. They have the best stuff, and you don't even have to leave your house. What's better than that? So go to MercuryMile.com and check them out and use code RamblingRunner10 to save 10 bucks while you do it. Thank you again, everybody for liking for sharing for commenting on the show i really do appreciate it as you may have uh, have noticed we're doing a little boston marathon thing uh post race a few episodes in a row they're gonna be boston marathon focused i hope you like it it's just it is one of those races that draws so much attention year in year out and for so many positive reasons i can't wait to keep the streak going so again thank you so much for listening And happy running.